Welcome to In The Eyes Of. In this episode, we talk to Vic, co-founder of the feminist collective group Javasta Noleon. The following episodes are in collaboration with the feminist collective group Javasta Noleon, where we will explore stories, inner narratives, and the several difficulties that women in Mexico live throughout. I hope you enjoy the next episode. Vic, welcome to In The Eyes Of. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you're studying? Hello, my name is my name is Victoria. I go by Vic. I am 20 years old. I'm from Monterey, Mexico. I did not grow up here though. We can get into that later. So I'm from here. Like I was born here, but I don't know about that, you know. I I study communications and media here, and I like it. <laughs> That was all I was going to say. So I feel like an identity crisis coming up in the sense of where where did you grow up with? You were born in Monterrey, but then what happened? I was born in Monterrey and I moved almost immediately to Dallas, Texas. And I stayed there for six years. And then I moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I lived there for six years also. And then I moved back to Monterrey, Mexico. And I've been here f for... A while ever since so basically since you were like 13 or something I, i moved to montreal quebec for a year in high school but i've mostly stayed in mexico ever since so you're basically been really exposed to different cultures and different types of ideologies and societies how can you because i mean you are one of the co-founders of javasta noleon which is a feminist collective group so how would you say like seeing all of these different societies and different people in different countries act together helped shape you know the person you are today i feel like that's a very loaded question but i will do my <laughs> best to answer it fully okay i for for a long time i think i was a very conservative person because of the fact that Texas is a very conservative place. And that is where I grew up. <laughs> and I was very conservative in the sense of, I like rules and I like to follow those rules. And Dallas allowed for, for my person to just follow any and all rules that were, that were presented to my person. And in Brazil, all of those completely shattered. It took a while. It did take a while. There's an anecdote my parents say that's really funny because the anecdote is every day we would drop you off for school and there's like people that greet the kids, you know? Like there's there's a little person that's in charge of greeting every single kid from different grades. So for like three years, it was the person that was, it would be the same person that would greet me for, for elementary school. And the person would kneel down to like kid stature and wait and like open their arms to, to for, for the kid to run to them and give them a hug. And in Texas, I feel like that's illegal. <laughs> like you're not supposed to touch the kids, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm a handshake person. You meet me from even from a very child age, I just, Hi, nice to meet you. I'd stretch out my hand and, and you would shake it. I would say, my name is Vic. Very nice to meet you. What's your name? And that, that would be it. And in Brazil, you're supposed to hug a stranger. You're supposed to hug an adult stranger at school on the first day. 
And for two years, I would very calmly get out of the car. I would walk up and be like, hi, good morning. And this poor teacher would be like, I am a failure. This kid doesn't want to hug me. Yeah, that was like a thing for a while. And then on like year three, I ran up and, and hugged her. And it was a really weird moment for my parents of our kid finally got like broken down by this place. And I feel like that's a very interesting like story to tell, to understand how the different cultures sort of merged in my mind. It was like, this is still who I am, but it took a while to like, for this other place to fully be inside of my head and, and how I act. And I think it's very interesting because you've been moving a lot since you were a child and exposed and not like moving around within the same country, the same society, but rather to different places of the world. And I think that can, I don't know, shape you into being like a multicultural person, you know, like you can come into having, because I relate to myself in the sense of when I, and it's completely different because when I moved from Northern Mexico to Southern Mexico, I discovered a completely different culture, you know, like, wow, this is a different Mexico to the one I'm living in. Like suddenly they have indigenous culture, something that I didn't have in the North. And I remember feeling like, okay, they're like, two types of myself like I've never felt this way as a Mexican but now I do and I was wondering like do you experience this type of multi multiculturability or like doubts about yourself regarding identity this happens all the time and it's so funny that you bring up this like northern Mexico's like southern Mexico thing because I really do believe that if even in like even central Mexico like like in Mexico City or in Toluca, there are, every single state has its own little, like, culture. And if you go into a different state, you're wrong. And there's, there's like, nationwide debates on what's a quesadilla and, and how to prepare it. And, and that's really hilarious. And you're right, like, within the same country. But I do experience this, like, sort of state of self-doubt as to who I am. Even when you ask, like, where you're from? And I, and I could have said, like, oh, I'm from here, and that, like, from, from Monterey, and that would have been that, but that's a lie. Because <laughs> like, it doesn't feel true to yourself. It doesn't feel true. And, and I've been here for, for seven, eight years, and it does not feel true, mostly because of, mostly the Mexican part. Because Monterey, as you know, is not a very Mexican place. It's the least Mexican place, I think, in all of Mexico, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, I lived here for so I got here to do the fifth grade and until ninth grade I learned how to speak Spanish because I had to take a Spanish test to graduate no not to graduate to to apply to high school I had to take a Spanish test and before that they were like you don't speak Spanish you don't have to start speaking Spanish for us like my middle school was bomb they were like you don't gotta do Spanish for us wow so Basically, your first language has always been English, not Spanish. No, it's always been English. And it's a, it's a fun topic at my house. My, my dad's lovely wife, I, she, I love her, she's the best, does not speak English. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah, so I'll do... I, I won't speak English if she's there. I, I, I really try to. But my Spanish is just not perfect. And that's a reality we have to face. And my dad's like, stop speaking Spanglish. And I was like, you know, that's a sign of higher IQ, right? <laughs> but but, but I'll, 
it's it's the little banter we have but i do try to speak spanish it's it's honestly really good now i do consider it to be really good but spanglish is just a thing that happens sometimes no and spanglish is a thing that happens in monterrey specifically like i really do believe monterrey is more american than many american cities in texas for example i completely agree i completely agree it's really funny because when Like, I feel like a very Monterey thing to do is, oh, we have a weekend and the, the United States are just right there, man. Like, they're right there. So we might as well go. And they'll go to to Laredo or, or McAllen or San Antonio. And you would walk into a restaurant with your family in Texas on the weekend. And I'd be like, hi, I'll have a, a cheeseburger with fries, for example. And then they'd answer back in Spanish. I'm like, no, actually, I do prefer to speak English. Like, I know I'm not Caucasian looking, but I would prefer to speak in English. And I feel that happens a lot, but like, because it's really common. It's even really common to find people that you know from Mexico in Texas, like just running to them in shops or restaurants. Yeah, that's crazy. That's hilarious. That would always happen to me. Whenever my family would go to Barnes and Noble, It, that's a day trip for me. It's like a full Saturday spent at a bookstore reading through different stuff I want. And I'd bump into my, the other nerds for my school. My father used to drop me off there and leave me because I would, instead of buying clothes, he would just like, he knew I, I wanted to buy books. So he would just drop me off and be like, okay, I'll pick you up in like five hours. Dude, you're awesome. Same. No, that's <laughs> that's the same. Same for me. So... Circling back to what you said about how you really like rules and really like norms and now thinking about Ya Basta Nuevo León, which essentially the feminist movement as a whole seeks to break down rules that have been established, you know, by the patriarchy and by men and white supremacy and basically all of the things that are wrong in the world. How did you came to be this rule breaker in a way? When you love rules. Yeah, I love rules. I feel like I had a little image of myself when I was six years old of the person I was going to end up being. And as each of those elements started breaking down, I became more lenient with myself. And when I became more lenient with myself, it's sort of like, this is the person that I am. And I don't enjoy the context in which I exist. And when I realized I do not enjoy the context within a, like where I am and where all of women sort of are, that's when I started getting angry. And it's and I just sort of stayed like that for a while until I met until I reconnected with with Robi, um, one of the other co-founders of Yawasta. And when I met her, she was like, I'm angry also. And we were like, bomb. So so what are we going to do about this? And Yawasta sort of was born out of that and it's sort of the organization sort of taught me how to be more correctly a feminist because I wasn't really a feminist in the way that I feel like I am now in the sense of every person on the planet has needs and more specifically every woman on the planet has needs and every woman deserves to have her needs their needs attended to. And before that, it was more so, oh, these are my needs. And I feel that my needs are not being attended to. 
And that is a personal struggle. And some of my needs are a feminist struggle. I see. And some That's of my needs are like a gender issue or an LGBT issue. And it's like separating the ones that are applicable to the feminist fight. The feminist community is how I became a feminist. And okay, I'm curious to know what was the image of the person that you had when you were six years old? And what is that image of the person that you want to be or you strive to be now? And how is it different? When I was six, I just wanted to be a housewife. Okay, wow. That's like, okay, <laughs> completely unexpected. Because that's all I saw. That's all I saw. That's all I was surrounded by. Like in Texas, my mom and all of my mom's friends, they had no jobs. They were literally just housewives. And they did a, a pretty good job at it, honestly. Like my mom, I would go into my like friends' houses and their moms would just be like this incredible image of like beauty and strength just working the house like it's their own and it is and it is but working the house completely you know like that is their their territory almost like seeing these these women just completely do something completely own something completely know how it works and it's like oh i want to be a housewife and i saw it as a powerful thing when i was six years old i was like this is and a power and maybe it is For some people, like I don't discourage people from being a housewife if that's what they want to do. Yes, but that's the most amount, like that was the most powerful thing I, I saw when I was six. I was like, this is the biggest thing a woman can be. And it's not something that I think is the most thing I can be. You know, like I, my panorama definitely opened up beyond being a housewife because I saw it as something you do for others, not something I would do for myself. And it's like, oh, I can't wait to be a housewife so I can be a good wife to my husband and a good mother to my kids. And it wasn't something I saw for myself. And that definitely changed when I realized I'm a lesbian and don't want to have kids. So that, that was a really big moment for me. Yeah, I can believe that was like groundbreaking for you in the sense of, okay, I don't want kids, so what else can I aspire to be? Yeah, and it's for so long, people sort of have gotten into your, your head as a woman and said, the way that you can succeed as a woman is to get married and have kids. And that is like, that is success. Like if, if you, and, and that's why I wanted to be a housewife because I was like, this is success. Getting married, having kids and being in a house, doing the, the house stuff all day, this is success for a woman and this is the highest success a woman can get is just being forever in servitude to other people and that's what i genuinely thought when i was a kid and then i realized like no <laughs> and what about now what about now like what do you strive to be now that i'm guessing it's not a housewife because it doesn't fit into your needs and wants at the moment no i just want to Now my, my number one goal is to just be in a position in which I can do whatever I want without hurting anybody. That's, that, that's all I ever want to do is to be in a position where, in which I can do the stuff I want to do without hurting a single soul. And in most places that is completely impossible, but I will do, I, I will strive to that. I really will. It sort of sounds almost hedonistic a little bit but it's more so um like what if i what i want to do today is just sit down and read 
or or write or paint or photography. I'm I'm a photographer and I really do want to do that most days. So I just want to be in a position in which I can do the stuff I want to do and not hurt anybody else. Get paid for it, obviously, because that's sort of a thing that needs to happen. So yeah, yeah, and I understand that. Like I think many people not realize that you need to leap from something and even though something is your passion and you would rather not have to charge for it because you just enjoy doing it so much you still need to sustain yourself from somewhere from somewhere <laughs> from, from somewhere from something yeah it just you just we all need to get paid is the reality of the situation right now sadly yeah i wish i didn't have to but i do to sustain myself and if and my loved ones in in a weird way you know because i feel like i sort of have a mutual understanding with my loved ones where it's like sometimes i'll get dinner and sometimes they'll get dinner and that's just sort of how it works and i wouldn't like to not be able to do that so exactly. sort of i need to sustain myself and my loved ones and getting paid is the way to do it and if i can get paid for something i like to do then that is an ideal situation. So now that we're heading towards the end of the episode, there's this recurring question that I always ask the people that I have as guests, which is, what is one or or more than one of the upcoming challenges that you will be facing and how do you plan to overcome them? Oh, well, I feel like a big one for me right now is work-life balance. <laughs> It's a big one. <laughs> I think before this semester, I was a bad student, straight up. And like, I took a winter class, like a class over the winter, and I did really well. And it was like, what changed? Like, what, what changed for me to do well on this? And I realized that it was, I was dedicating a lot of time to it because I was only taking one class. And now I'm taking six classes which is a full course load. And I'm also <laughs> seeing my friends and spending time with, with my family and doing Yavasta for most of the day, most days. And it's just, how can I... All, all these pieces of the puzzle that is my Google Calendar, how can I make it fit so that I can sleep a full eight hours every night? I don't do that most nights, but how can I make it all fit? And how can I delegate? I feel like delegating is going to be a big word in, in the solution here. Like how can I delegate some of this stuff so I can, so I can feel like I, again, I'm doing the stuff I want to do. Because I'm studying because I want to. And I'm doing Yavasta because I want to. And both of those make me feel fulfilled. But how can I make these pieces fit? And I love what you said because it's exactly also what I struggle with delegating and I often joke with my friends in the sense of I need another me I need someone that is exactly me thinks the way I do does exactly the same things I would do them so that person can be like my personal assistant or do the things that I don't have time because I overwork myself or overload myself with things However, I do realize that mental health, you know, resting, taking time for yourself is just as equally as important as actually doing the hard work. Because often I think people forget that being in social causes, whether it be environmental, human rights, feminism, it takes a lot 
of your inner strength because you're often seeing and overwhelmed by bad news. Bad things have happened and then you're the person in charge because you chose it to be to deliver this news to other people and see their reactions and carry that emotional labor as well. Completely agree with you on that one. Uh, being an activist is just, being an activist and only an activist is a direct route to burnout. That rhymed. I feel weird. <laughs> But I think the only way to avoid it is or to heal from it is to do other stuff and and that's something really strange because i feel that activists then if you're doing something that isn't related to the movement you're you're a part of you're then feeling guilt and that's a big one for us we're several people in yavasta no leon and within the collective we encourage us to take breaks so we have several people manning each of the things that needs to be done to maintain the platform and if one of them is like y'all i'm so tired I, i or guys i have a test tomorrow we're like oh my god do not do a single thing <laughs> please take a rest day like please take a rest day and then the the other people will just spring into action if possible and if not we're all very aware that if information is not released today it won't be the end of the world and we can totally do tomorrow and that is so important especially in a team that works social causes social issues because it can really get to you and affect you so now that we're at the end of the episode i just want to ask you again if there's something you want to reaffirm emphasize on something you really want to say out there to whoever is listening to I, this might be a little bit of a cliche but it it always gets better it absolutely always gets better it doesn't matter what i'm talking about it doesn't matter what you're going through this is a a a fully applicable statement to almost everything if not everything it always gets better just give it some time sleep it over think it over stuff stuff can always be improved well vic thank you so much for being so op- open and honest about your life experiences about everything. I think you're an amazing woman. I think you're doing real change in the world that is needed. And please take more rests. Please take more breaks for yourself. And thank you so much for this conversation. Absolute ditto to you on that one. You're incredible. Thank you so much. 